Hello and welcome to the Vlogging Pod. Tonight we are joined by author of Fathers, Our Father's Footsteps, Don Leathers. <laughs> welcome to the room, Don. How are you this evening? Very well, thanks very much, Ari. Well, wonderful. So we're going to start our 20 minutes right off the bat by talking about finishing writing and publishing a book. With all your success, um, tell us a little bit about the journey that you've done from when you started writing. I think you're, you've written several. You first started out with a children's book, if I correct? Yes, I did my first book because uh, I like one of your authors a couple of weeks ago, and I'm afraid I don't have his name in front of me right at the moment, but he was a children's author, and uh, I started out by reading stories to my kids and making up stories for them, and uh, so... I lived in the Okanagan at the time in, in Kelowna and uh, going across the lake the day my second daughter was born we saw something in the water out there and that led to me making a story of a boat Okopogo. Nice and then you went right into another book. Now I'm taking that you're an indie author, yes? Yes. Okay, so tell us about the journey and what you've learned thus far. I think you have, what, is it four or five books that you've written so far? Or is it more? Am I mistaken? i got two, two children's books, a novel, a, this Our Father's Footsteps, and uh, I participated in an Edmonton Writers Group's uh, anthology. So. Okay, so tell us what you've learned since this whole process of being an indie author. Tell us how that's progressed for you. Uh, a couple of years ago when I wrote my novel, Loot for the Taking, I was asked by the local library board to make a tour of libraries and, and speak to uh, the, the, the people of the library and students at some of the schools that the libraries are in. So in my presentation, I wrote, writing the book is the easy part. Mm -hmm. Once you hit the end, that's when all the work begins. Mm. Yes. And that has been uh, so true in doing this, uh, doing loot for the taking. It's even people that are, are fortunate enough to get uh, good sized publishers these days still have to do most of their own promotion. Oh, yes. And that is a lot of work. It is more than just trying to just trying to how to figure out to get onto your your podcast tonight <laughs> was a challenge, and I'm just sweating trying to do it. <laughs> no, you did fine. You did fine. It just took a minute for it to catch up, but you make a valid point. Um, I don't know if you know. I've written a few books myself, and it, there is more work after. It's not just not just the formatting, not just editing, not just the revisions. Because, you know, that all kind of goes along with the writing as well. But you have to be your own publicist. And speaking of that, you did something very interesting as you being your own publicist as an indie author. Um, I believe from what I found out about you, within when you were talking about your book, um, The Loot, let me make sure I get this correct. Um, yeah. Okay, you have the fathers, wait a minute, there it goes, loot for the taking. I'm, I'm on your website yes. as well, so <laughs> I have one of my computers dedicated to your website currently. So you did oh, thank something, you very much. Well, you're welcome. So you did something very interesting, um, and I particularly took interest in this for loot for the taking. You arranged interviews with small community papers um, where you planned on doing book signs. Tell us a little yes. bit about that. 
Well, again, I, unlike uh, being having a publicist or having a publisher that arranges all this stuff, especially the uh, the the, the the robbery that my novel was um, inspired by was a robbery in Vancouver, BC in 1977. Uh -huh. And these guys stole millions of dollars worth of loot from a safety deposit vault and got away scot-free. But they were caught at the airport because their bags were too heavy. Oh, wow. So I was always mad at these guys for, you know, pulling off this perfect heist. Not that I'm, you know, saying that uh, doing a robbery is a good thing, but these guys had pulled the perfect heist without hurting anybody. So because it was based in Vancouver, I contacted a lot of the lower mainland uh, newspapers. And when I went to an area, I got the paper to come out and talk to me about it. And it was, it was wonderful. Nice. Well, you didn't just get the newspaper to come out. You have done some actual program programs. I believe, now quote me if I'm wrong, because it was the CBC that I heard you on? Yeah, the CBC. I did a Kamloops news broadcast. Uh, I did some um, uh, radio interviews with Vancouver, again, talking about the, the heist itself and, and getting hoping that that would draw the people's interest into doing that and finding that hook that I needed to uh, to draw people in to be able to get that free advertising. All right. I feel like I almost should ask for your autograph. <laughs> <laughs> um, since we mentioned book signings, tell me how you organize stores. Because I, from what I understand, you, you took it upon yourself to go to a lot of the bookstores and arrange for your books to be in there personally and the book signing. So tell me how you thought of that and the process of getting that all accomplished. Well, I did my first book through a company called Tellwell in, in Vancouver, the, the novel. Mm -hmm. When we did our uh, when we did our first Ogopogo book, we just uh, went around and sold them to fruit stands and, and uh, then it was taken over by a, a distribution company and we've now sold 30,000 copies of the original Ogopogo. Nice. Uh, I should be so lucky to sell 10% of any of the other ones I do. <laughs> but uh, so it was, and I've always been in sales. So I've never been afraid to go and approach people and to talk about them, to talk to them about doing the book right. or to, to sell the book. And so that was always the my strong suit, so to say. Right. Well, 30,000 um, for your Ogopogo, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's, that's since 1985, and, and now that it's been taken over by uh, Sandhill Marketing, uh, we get a royalty check once a year. It's enough to go out and have dinner. So <laughs> <laughs> That's still nice. So, absolutely, and, and to still be getting that after uh, since 1985, I mean, that's 37 years ago. It's pretty good. I know, well, you know, I always say the same thing uh, when people ask. And I say, it's enough money to have a nice dinner every month, you know? <laughs> right. It used to be coffee money, but now it's a nice dinner, you know? I, I consider that a win. I consider that a win. Yes. Um, so let's take well, a... Well, and unfortunately, the 30000 doesn't show up in any of the statistics because ah. they're sold in places like wineries and, and fruit stands and tourist booths. So they it doesn't... If somebody looked up in the... Uh, in the great scheme of things, how many books I've sold, it would never show 30,000 of those. Yeah, but you know, a lot of, okay, like say when I read someone that has been rated for uh, top marketing for Amazon, there's a lot of, a lot of that can't be found either. 
You know, you just hear no. about the first um, statement of it, or they might have sent you an email or something like that. But after, you know, after a certain amount of time goes by, those are even hard to find as well. Trust me, because when I've done these researches, I've looked. <laughs> so, you know, to know your own figures is still impressive. And to still be selling all these years later, that's incredible. It really is. Well, the sequel to that just, I, a, a sequel I just did with an actual publisher in the Okanagan, and that was written in 1987, but we, uh, life got in the way, and uh, we just put out the sequel this year, uh, Ogopogo and the Mysterious Stranger, so uh, okay. that's just coming out now. And you said you're with who, what publisher again on that? It's, Okana it's Okanagan Publishing. It's oh, okay. a small publishing house in, in the Okanagan. Okay. Nice. And you're Canada-based, Yes. Yes. Nice. Okay, so let's let's take a minute. I'm trying to write things down as we go along. I don't like to forget things. So let's take a moment and relive 2017 when you published Loot for the Taking. Tell us a little bit how you started. What, what made you interested in writing this book? Tell me what spoke to you or what came up in your life that brought this to your attention. Well, again, I uh, just like the Ogopogo and the sequel to that, I started writing Loot for the Taking back in 1987. Okay, but you... Sorry, 19, yes, 1987. Okay, but you published in 2017. Yes. yes. Okay. But the, I originally started doing it as a screenplay, okay. and uh, I didn't know anything about screenwriting, and uh, so I had approached the CBC about having them do it as a, as a movie of the week kind of a thing, and I met this producer down there, his name is Hart Hansen. And uh, he liked the concept, he liked the idea, and uh, one thing turned to another and it didn't happen. But he said, why don't you write the book? Maybe somebody will make a movie about it. Forward 20 years and, and life got in the way. And uh, I basically sold my business and retired. And finally, uh, in, 19, uh, in 2016, I began writing it again. All my original notes were on computer programs that no longer existed, so I started again. And uh, again, not wanting to spend a lot of time getting rejected by mainline publishers, I decided to publish myself. Nice. So, again, how did it come to your attention in 1987? I mean, what crossed your path? Because you said the, the heist happened in 1977. Was there something that right. you saw on it? Did you see a clipping? I no, I had always, it, it had always stuck in the back of my mind, and so we were on holidays, I stopped into the Vancouver Public Library and said, there was a robbery around here in 1977, and I'd like to get your microfiche and start looking through it, and the girl looked at me and she says, come over here, and we went over to file cabinet, and she pulled out all the newspaper clippings from that heist, and that was my research done. Nice. There was no internet to look up all these things at the time. And uh, so it was had to be done that way. When I began redoing it in 2016, I found that one of the men who had involved in the original heist had been arrested again in 2015 for an armored car robbery in Montreal. <sighs> so it, uh, you know, and I actually have an armored car robbery involved in the, uh, in the beginning of the book uh, that I, I, I describe. And, um, Little did I know that this guy had been involved in that. Wow, that's that's actually pretty impressive. Your research, I'm really I'm really impressed. So, 
As an indie author, let's talk cover work. So your covers are very interesting. Loot for the Taking um, shows an armory box and some jewels and gold within. And we have, of course, our father's footsteps. Um, it really moves you seeing an, an older gentleman and then the recaps of World War II in the background. It's rather moving. So tell me how the covers came about. The Loot for the Taking, I had some ideas of what I wanted, and I got a hold when I was working with Tellwell. I told them what I wanted. I w looked at different websites, and I found that safety deposit box with the money and the gold in it. And I said, can we get that? So we got that, and they, they purchased that the rights for that picture for me. Our Father's Footsteps is a, um, was a work of love and passion. The main picture on the cover of that is a picture of the Royal Winnipeg Rifles who my dad served with during World War II. The old man is a statue that was in Normandy in 2019 when I was there, and uh, it is probably the most moving memorial I've ever seen in my life. He's actually looking across a field of grass to a statues that are coming out of the water or out of make it look like they're coming out of the water. And they're built out of washers that you can see through. Oh wow. And part of those part of those pieces that you can see through are disappearing. There a shoulder is missing and a and a, an arm is missing and it's his memories fading and disappearing. Wow. Well, the cover, I mean even what you're saying is even more moving, but the cover I think in a way, really does illustrate what you're trying to put across. It really does. So as we're talking, they're my actual they're my actual footprints in the sand on the cover that I took as soon as I got there. Nice. So yeah, I, I see that. Si yeah. And since uh, doing a couple of book signings, the other thing I want to mention is the two men, two of the men in the picture. I've now met members of, met, met and talked to members of their families. Now, see that was. That's going right into my next question, because when we were talking about Our Father's Footsteps, which is your latest book, um, Stories of World War II Veterans, what was the research for it? Tell me about the conversations, the level of research that you went into for this book. In 2019, I was fulfilling a bucket list item to go to Normandy mm -hmm. uh, to the uh, for the 75th anniversary, so I was going with a group from that were from my dad's regiment, the Royal Winnipeg Rifles. Uh -huh. And before I left, I had an interview with a local uh, TV station and the anchor, Gord Stanky, who actually wrote the forward for my book, he said, wow, it'll be great to walk in your dad's footsteps. And that started the idea of there's more stories to this than my dad's. And so I had my dad's story, but the research and talking to people was, um, incredible one of the a lady in edmonton here she gave me 150 of her dad's letters that he had sent home during world war ii oh wow so using those letters so i, I didn't have the luxury like many um authors speaking to the actual veterans i had to take it from their letters their journals their uh, war records uh, that they have and the war diaries of the regiments themselves to tell the stories so and and by the time I finished, I had a feeling that I could have, just like you and I, we could probably go and have a beer afterwards and, <laughs> and talk about things till midnight easily. Right. And, and I felt the same. I knew these men. So. And my researching, 
Sorry, go ahead. No, I, well, go ahead. Go, go ahead and finish your thought. I'll, I'll, I'll mention when you're done. Uh, I, while I was in, in Normandy, I asked, the group I was with must have been getting tired of it, but I would ask everybody I met, do you have any stories of your family? And I met a lady on the beaches of Normandy, and she shared her dad's story and a little bit, and then a month later she sent me a letter and an email, and uh, her dad's story is in the book. And uh, so we become great friends, and then taking that information and um, all the other information that I use, I have a lot of footnotes in the book for to of the research that I've done that people can look up. Nice. So the title, Our Father's Footsteps. So tell me how it felt to sort of walk into your father's footsteps writing this. Ultimately, I realized how lucky I was to be here. Mm -hmm. My dad was, I always knew my dad had been wounded on D-Day, but um, I found the headstones of a couple of men he was with that he wrote about in his letter. And that was extremely, and still is extremely emotional. And so it was realizing how lucky that, and I don't know if you had, you know, um, any of your listeners had family that served in World War II that are alive today because their fathers are, in this case here now, great-grandfathers survived. Because after my dad was wounded, members of his regiment were captured and murdered. And if he hadn't been wounded, he may have been murdered. If he had been wounded, the, the letter he sent home to my grandmother said, two inches higher, and it would have stopped being a man. Uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. No. I don't have anyone um, personally for me that was in World War II. <clears throat> However, my father was in Vietnam, and it is not something he ever likes talking about. I mean, so occasionally he'll, he'll give a few stories. My father was a medic. Um, and he, unfortunately, was on the front lines of that. <clears throat> and I do remember him saying that he asked his, um, his troop or whatever, I don't know, I'm not really good on the terminologies for that, but he would ask them to only call his name because when they, when they would yell medic, they would actually aim for him to go help. So, you know, because they... they they recognize the other side recognized the uh, you know the names sorry my dogs are barking now move back <laughs> sorry about that um, anyway so I can understand the dynamic of that I mean it really had to pull you in really deep into your father's footsteps can you tell me if what you plan on doing is there going to be a sequel to this I am waiting for people I spoken to a number of people and I'm hoping to uh, get some more stories uh, and it doesn't matter where they come from whether they were in the US and uh, or in England or or uh, New Zealand Australia All, I, I want to do another three or four stories and, and fill that in because it's not just the stories of their war it's a story about who they were before why they joined up what I call their what-if moments, in my dad's case, being wounded and coming close to possibly being murdered, and who they were afterwards. Right. In my case, and, and all the men in this book, we were very fortunate that none of the men ended up with the PTSD that was so prevalent. Right. So if I could... So, uh, yeah, it could have been worse. Right. So if I could ask you, what is one tale that comes to your mind the quickest when you refer to this book? 
I guess uh, one of them was after my dad was wounded. He the uh, bullet actually went through his thigh from uh, his right thigh from left to right, and then ended up in his water bottle. Oh. And he went to have a drink on the beach after he got back to the beach, and uh, it was empty. When he was uh, patched up in England, the doctor drilled a hole in his um, bullet, told him to wear it around his neck for good luck. And uh, in a one precarious moment, he ended up uh, feeling for his bullet and it wasn't there. And he felt that that was it. His luck had run out. Wow. So, so it's stories like that that have, you know, that, that I tell of these men. Right. So for my last question of the evening, because you probably heard my timer go off because I didn't catch it quick enough. My apologies. Um, tell me what's what's next. I know you talked about that you want to do a second of our father's footsteps with more of the stories. But tell me what's going to be on your next on your writing desk. I feel that there are more projects coming from you. Yeah, I before I started this, I had begun to try and tell the real story about the safety deposit vault heist. Mm -hmm. And to do that, I've talked to the, I end up tracking down the prosecutor of the case. I've talked to uh, many people who, even after 40 years, don't want their names mentioned because this robbery was believed to have been um, done by people that were involved in uh, the ah. West End uh, Mafia out of Montreal. And nobody wants to, they, they'll talk about it, but so long as I don't use their names. So I have that that is sitting in the background that I'm, as you know, how much take time it takes to do this promotion. And I've been doing that for the last three or four months. So I do have another couple of projects and I want to start on the sequel to Our Father's Footstep. Uh, and whether that be in uh, from the Air Force or Navy, it doesn't matter to me. It's just to tell those stories. Wow. Very commendable, your stories. Really, they are. Um, you can find most of Don's stuff on donleversbooks.com. Also, I do believe you're on Amazon, correct, Don? Yes. Yep. Awesome. And I've been very fortunate the, uh, since this uh, was launched. I've been... It's definitely it's funny because you look up the, the book and you'll see that sometimes it's in the top ten, sometimes it's still been in the top one hundred of its categories. Nice. It's a small category for stories of World War Two Normandy, but it's pretty exciting to see when you hit number one at one point. Well, yes, it is. Congratulations! I want to thank you so much for being on this evening. Um, your experiences and your knowledge has been very valuable. And I'm sure it's going to be even more so for those who pick up your book. I look forward to actually getting mine. Um, so once again, thank you. Thank you to our audience for being with us this evening. Until next time, everyone, bye-bye.